0: following message is a presentation of valley metro church a community of believers dedicated to knowing god and making him known the series we're jumping into the facing the giant series it's a series that looks at the biggest so-called giants in our life that hold us back or limit us or hinder us from what god has for us and um What we have found is, as a pastor, I've seen over the years certain things holding people back, and I've talked to other pastors and leaders, and I said, what's your opinion on the biggest things that seem to be ongoing issues that tend to hold back people from the fullness of what God has for their life? What are the things that limit people from their calling and limit people from becoming uh, all they can be for the glory of God? And so we kind of came up with this list of things, and these are the biggest really issues. We're calling them Giants. Because each one of them need to be dealt with as a giant. Need to recognize what they are, how they operate, and how we take them out. So we can move forward for the glory of God without being held back in our faith, and our calling. And so um, some of the giants we looked at so far, we looked at the giant of fear. And we realized how fear can paralyze the heart and keep us from moving forward in areas. We dealt with that in detail. And then we looked at the giant of doubt. And instead of fear, which resides in our heart, doubt often resides in our mind. And we saw how the giant of doubt will, 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 will intellectually argue our way out of moving forward with the things of God. And so that's an important one too. Big roadblocks in the life of a believer, enormous. Last week, we looked at the giant of our, our past. Maybe experiences we've had along the way. Maybe things that people told you during the formative years, things that shape us. And our past has an enormous effect on our future. And we looked at that. Now this week, we're looking at a very big giant. This giant may be the biggest giant. This giant often goes unrecognized. That's what's different about this giant. We're looking at the giant of unforgiveness. The giant of unforgiveness. It's enormous. It hinders many. Instead of the other giants that seem to attack us from the front, This giant tries to drag us down from the rear. It tries to pull us down from behind. As opposed to the other giants, fear and doubt, we usually see those and people navigate around them or or, or go a different direction when they encounter them. But, But the giant of unforgiveness creeps up from behind and begins to pull us down. And the thing about this giant, this giant does not travel alone. This giant travels with two others. This giant of unforgiveness travels with bitterness, and um, resentment. They go hand in hand with unforgiveness everywhere it goes. And resentment, if you even think of the word resentment, it's sentiment. The sentiment we have towards others or whatever happened to us, there's a sentiment we have, and resentment is to replay the sentiment. The sentiment gets replayed over and over and over again. That's what travels with the giant of unforgiveness is resentment. And bitterness is the other one. Bitterness is literally when our heart, which matters more than anything, our heart condition is everything. For a believer, if you're a believer in the, in the living God and you want to follow God's will for your life, the condition of your heart and mind is paramount. It matters more than anything. It matters more than anything we know. And what we learn is the condition of the heart. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for Hearts, cortisones, hearts that are his so he can strongly support them. Hearts matter more than anything. And the reality is this giant of unforgiveness, it travels with bitterness and resentment. The bitterness is when our heart actually begins to turn sour. It begins to take on a different shape. And what's interesting about this, a lot of folks will go through life often ignoring this, but it's, they're dragging it with them everywhere they go. We cannot be used for the glory of God with a sour heart. You guys realize that? I mean, if we have resentment or bitterness in our heart resulting from unforgiveness, we cannot be used for the full potential God has us for. I mean, there's no way. These are enormous blocking mechanisms. Um, A couple of scriptures on this, Hebrews 12, 15. I love what it says. Um, It says, watch out that, listen to this, no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you corrupting many Uh, what what the author is saying is that he's writing to the church he's writing to believers he's saying that in the life of a believer if there's areas of unforgiveness uh, what will happen is this root of bitterness will grow up he calls it poisonous and it grows up to trouble you like I said this giant tries to drag us down from the rear and it tries to pull us from the back and this poisonous root of bitterness bitterness is not the symptom Bitterness is the problem, and it grows in the life of a believer, and it corrupts many. In other words, he's saying, he's saying, the author of Hebrews is saying, there's many believers that started really well, but something happened along the way with unforgiveness. Bitterness grew, and along with bitterness, this resentment, and somehow this poisonous root of bitterness grew up, and he said it corrupted many. If it's not dealt with, this giant... It will hinder, it'll pull people back. It happens all the time. And life has a series of circumstances that will ding your heart and mine along the way. We've all been through things in life that we didn't appreciate, that we didn't like, that we didn't enjoy, that seemed unfair, seemed wrong, that people were either partial or we were a victim of a situation. But the reality is what you and I do with it matters monumentally because if we don't, This is what it says happened. This poisonous root of bitterness begins to grow up. Proverbs 4.23 is another amazing one. This is is phenomenal. It says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's not talking about guarding your heart from relationships and, and getting to know people and being vulnerable with people. That's not what it's saying about guarding your heart. It's saying guard your heart, watch what stuff you let in your heart to poison because it is the wellspring of life. In the context, if, you, if we knew the, the culture and the times, you would have a well and you would live somewhere where there was a fresh water source and you would go to that well and you would get your water and it would sustain life. But what the enemies often did as a matter of warfare back in Old Testament culture when the Psalms were written is they wouldn't just try to come in and and, and take over an, uh, another person or conquer that when they went in they would poison their wells they would poison the well so that there would be no more life source for the people group that they conquered and this was part of their warfare and the thing about this is the devil is the same way today there are things in lives that we've been through that were a work of the devil, that the, the devil tried to use people against you or your past, your experience, could be your childhood, could be been something that happened this week um, that, that happened to you where there was, a, there was a, a, an issue maybe that came up and what the devil wants to do is the devil wants to poison the well. Does that make sense? Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. If we have a poisoned heart, if we have bitterness growing up in our heart and resentment in our heart, we cannot be used for the full potential that God has for us. That's why this is a giant that needs to be dealt with. We're gonna recognize this giant. We're gonna look at scripture relating to unforgiveness. We're gonna look at how uh, this even gets in in the first place and what's the entry point and how we deal with it. But it is that big of a deal. Um, the entry point of this giant, the way this giant even gets an open door in our life in any way, shape or form, always begins, always with an offense, an offense. There was some sort of violation, something that was wrong or seemed wrong to us. And that offense could be a sin, something that the Bible clearly calls a sin, a scriptural violation, I mean, very easily identifiable. But sometimes it's not like a flat out sin, Sometimes it's just an unmet expectation. Sometimes it's a, um, for example, in, in a marriage, couples have expectations of one another. And when an expectation is not met, uh, that's an unmet expectation. That can be viewed as, a, as a, um, an offense, if you will. It might not be a biblical sin, something listed, but it's an expectation and it's not met and someone gets offended. There's also relationships with your family. There are expectations expectations of your neighbors in the workplace, we have these expectations. They seem very reasonable. But when somebody falls radically short of what they seemingly should do, that's an offense. And that is the entry point of this giant of unforgiveness. It begins at the point of offense, no matter what the offense is. And we got to be careful. We got to be discerning, because in the same way that people have offended you or I, Maybe they flat out sinned against us in a biblical sense, or maybe just an unmet expectation that we really thought it was a reasonable expectation and somebody fell way short of it. Um, In the same way, we've likely done that in the lives of others where we've sinned against them and we have fallen short on an expectation, not really realizing it. And so this works two ways that there may be some issues in our life with the giant of unforgiveness has been gaining steam and growing strong because of this, but it also might be the case in somebody else's where we need to go back in their life and help them remove this giant, amen? Yeah. Um, but this is important because it's, for some reason, this area of unforgiveness, this offense, it's really easy for people to hold on to it. And some people can hold on to these things for years and years and years. And that's the subtlety of this giant. The subtlety of this giant is usually not something that we deal with one day and we're like, oh no, it's right in front of me, like a fear of stepping out in faith or a doubt. No, it's not right front. It creeps up from behind and we drag it with us oftentimes our whole life. How many of you have ever been to a funeral um, where there's been long-term issues or undercurrents? Anybody? Things like that, yeah. I mean, sometimes people can be in the presence of each other at a funeral where things for 10, 20, 30, 40 years going way, way back. They've been dragging this their whole life. And for some reason, they, they, they hold on to these things. But instead of releasing somebody, and this is what it takes, church, please understand this. Instead of releasing somebody for what they did, the unforgiveness takes over little by little until we actually become the victim of our own Unforgiveness. Isn't that ironic? That we refuse to release somebody. And as a result, over time, we become the victim of our own unforgiveness. We don't realize that's happening, but that's in fact what does happen. And the first point this morning, if you're a note-taker, is that the reality of this giant of unforgiveness when we deal with it or becoming a victim to it. The first point is that b- becoming a victim of unforgiveness is a choice. It is entirely, entirely a choice. There may have been things that happened to you in your life that it was not a choice to be a victim of. No, it never would be a choice to be a victim of something, but unforgiveness is in fact a choice. See, things can happen to you the first time, or you can let them happen to you for the rest of your life. And when things happen to us the first time, that's when we're a victim. And we're living in a broken world, and people do broken things, just as we have That's the first time. But resentment is to replay the sentiment. Did we not say that? It's to replay the sentiment over and over again. And as long as we hold on to that, and as long as we replay the sentiment, and as long as we don't release people for that, then we in fact choose to become a victim of our own unforgiveness. And it does continue to grow, and it grows in our life. It becomes like a self-imposed bondage, if you will, we don't get up in the morning and think of it that way. We don't get up in the morning and choose that. But in reality, that's what happens. And what it does, this bitterness begins to rob us of our peace and our joy and our freedom that we were designed to live in. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life to the fullest. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. He, Jesus has got this reality of that he wants us to walk with him in his will as a forgiving person so we can live for his glory and become the full potential but if we don't release people from things from offenses or from sins we actually start walking in a self-imposed bondage and that's why this giant of unforgiveness can start small and get really big in the lives of anybody we got to really check this guys now jesus knows this area of forgiveness is enormous in fact jesus came for forgiveness the reason jesus came is for forgiveness it's that big of a deal in the heart of God. Forgiveness is everything. Jesus came to reconcile our forgiveness with the Father, and he also came to recon- uh, reconcile us to one another through the cross. That's what Ephesians tells us. But forgiveness is so enormous in what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Prayer. The Apostles asked Jesus, Jesus, how do we pray? And it says in Luke 11, uh, Jesus taught them how to pray. He said, this is how you pray. When you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name, holy is your name, your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. It's interesting, many of these translations look at forgive us our sins as, as, in the same way as we forgive those. But we're oftentimes quick to say, God, forgive me for my sins, but them, they deserve it. Isn't it kind of funny how that works out? Come on, can we a little honesty in God's house? We're like, God, you know I need forgiveness, but they're messed up over there. They, 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 they owe a big apology or something, you know. And so we got this mindset that as long as we're right with God, everything's good, but they have an issue over there, and Lord, you're going to need to teach them a lesson. And so we're going to hold on to that one for a while. This is the way we oftentimes think subtly. Maybe we don't even come to terms with it. But Jesus is saying, guys, it doesn't work that way in my kingdom. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And so some of the translations, I love this. I looked up a bunch of translations, how they break this passage down. And some of them say, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Some say, Lord, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. Uh, Some say, forgive us our wrongs as we forgive those who wronged us. And I love this one. Uh, One translation says accurately as well. It says, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. I like that. Forgive us our debts with you, God, our sins, but, but Lord, there's some people that are indebted to us because they did something wrong in our life. There was a violation. They did something wrong. In a sense, they are indebted to us, but would you forgive my sins as I forgive their debts? Isn't that interesting the way it's put? I love the way one translation puts it. It says this, may we have forgiveness for our sins as we make free all those who are in debt to us. Does that make sense? Make them free. Everyone say make free. make free. That's what forgiveness is. It's making free. It's making free people that are indebted to you because of a sin, a violation, an unmet expectation. Could be anything. The reality was somebody fell short. Sin in the Bible is looked at a few different ways. It's looked at missing the mark. You're aiming for a bullseye and it misses. it misses. That's sin. Another way it's looked at is you're aiming and it falls short. It doesn't even meet, meet the, it's missing the mark or falling short. It's, it's outside of what it should have been. And in our lives, in the relationships that we're in, we have fallen short in the lives of others and others have fallen short in our life. That's a reality to the human condition. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, that's a reality. Now what we do with it is everything. What you and I do with that falling short is Everything. Jesus is saying, forgive us, this is how you pray, may we have forgiveness for our sins as we make free all those who are in debt to us. Now, how do you know this morning that you have unforgiveness in your life? How do you know that you have bitterness or resentment? Maybe you've come to terms and maybe when we talk about this topic, it's already stirring that up and you're thinking, oh yeah, I'm already thinking of someone right now. But maybe you're saying, no, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I don't, I'm, I don't have any issues there. I'm, I'm good. Um, by the way, I know a, a message like this does start turning rocks over in people's lives and starts exposing things. And I'm telling you, there's no freedom. We have to deal with these things, church. Uh, if God's stirring you, do business with God. At the end of service, our prayer team's coming up. Let, let's deal with some things today. Let's walk out of here free. Let's release some people, amen? Release some people. Release them today. There's a freedom in that. And there's a future for you in that and for I. But how do you know? How do you know if there is, in fact, bitterness right now or resentment in your life, which is an evidence of that giant of unforgiveness still has a place in your life, still has weight pulling us from behind? How do you know that? Here's one way. When you think about someone or you hear about them or you see them, does it cause you to have a negative thought or a bad feeling about that person? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody you see, think about or here. When you do, does it cause an association? What that is, is resentment. You are replaying the sentiment. Whether you like it or not, that's what's happening. The sentiment is back in replay, like a bad Top 40 song that you can't get off the radio. That's what resentment is. It's back in rotation again. You're replaying the sentiment. Um, another way to know is, that's a sign of a defense right there. Another way to know is in conversations, do you talk about being hurt by somebody? Um, if you talk about being hurt by somebody and that conversation keeps coming up where you're reminded of hurt and you're carrying the hurt, you're carrying the offense, there is, there is a bitterness. There's clearly an offense there. And are past wounds still part of your conversation? You know, the only way past wounds should be part of a conversation for a believer is the reality of your testimony. This is where I was. This is how messed up things were. And this is what God has brought me to. But if we're still living in the past wounds, there's no freedom. Jesus came that you might have life and have life to the fullest, have life abundantly. And for us to still be walking in the wound means we haven't really given it to the Lord and let it be covered by the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you about the blood of Jesus is so powerful. It not only forgives me and you for all of our sins, but it forgives others for anything messed up they might've done in our lives. Amen? And the beauty is we need to give that stuff to God so that we can be fully free and fully liberated because the heart condition for you and I, if it's not right before God, we might think we have this relationship, God, I love you and forgive me, me and you are good and I'm a worshiper and that's all good. But the reality is if our heart is still that way towards others, God's saying, no, it's not okay. And that's why he brings this up the way he does. Um, After the Civil War, Robert E. Lee was down in Kentucky and he visited a lady uh, who took Robert E. Lee to the front of her house and showed showed him this big, enormous oak tree she had that was completely shot up and falling down because of the Union artillery fire. And she pointed to this tree, to Robert E. Lee, and says, look what they did. This was a beautiful tree, they've destroyed it and she was trying to get Robert E. Lee to give some word of encouragement to her or some word to condemn the North and that's why she was presenting it to her. And after a brief silence, Lee looked at her and said, ma'am, cut it down and forget about it. And he moved on. See, you can have these big relics and monuments in our lives that remind us of injustice, that can remind us forever and we can hold on to them or we can choose to cut them down and forget about it. It's really a choice. And that's why we say the giant of unforgiveness, it is a choice to become its victim. It's a self-inflicted bondage that's not necessary. And if we don't deal with it directly, uh, then it continues to just kind of live on. And the only weapon you and I have, the only weapon to take out this giant is forgiveness. And that's why we need God's help. Because he can give you the power. He can give you the love. He can give you the mercy. In fact, he does to overcome this giant. But it is that big of a deal that forgiveness alone is the only thing that takes out this giant. And why is it so hard? Because admit it, it's hard to forgive. Is it hard to forgive? It's hard to forgive. Why is it hard to forgive? We don't really look at that too often, but the reason it's hard to forgive is because we really believe somebody owes us. We are convinced they owe us, and it demands that we let go of something that we value. We value something like they owe us, there needs to be some form of justice here, and until justice is served, I'm not letting it go, we feel very zealous That there needs to be a justice there needs to be an understanding the way we see it and until that happens we're not letting it go that's typically the 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 human response the natural response and it's really our pride and our sense of personal justice and it's sometimes even a desire for revenge it really is In in the human condition it's usually well you know it serves them right or until this happens we're not equal here this is what happens and that's why it's hard to to, to, to let that go sometimes. Bible says in Romans, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And Matthew 6 says this, this is a good one, for if you forgive men, listen to this, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's one we don't want to hear. That's one we kind of wish we could just erase that one out. No, me and you, God, we're good. We're good. I'm in your house. I love you. We pray. Got a prayer life. Got a relationship. We're good. It's just those other people, Lord, that get messed up sometimes, you know? And so we want to be right with God, but not have to deal with violations or breaches. And this is saying in the same way you've been forgiven, you got to extend it. And so the second point this morning is that for believers, forgiveness is not an option. For believers, we don't have the option of unforgiveness. It's not our option. It really isn't. We think it is. We think, well, that one there, I'm going to wait till they apologize. We have all these ways of justifying. But for the believer, if you are a follower of the resurrected Jesus, forgiveness is not an option for you and I. It's required of us. It's required of us. Uh, Matthew 18, in fact, if you have your Bible there, why don't you guys open it up, Matthew 18, this is a really cool passage on what it looks like in action, Jesus is sharing these parables about the kingdom of God, and basically what he's saying, if God is your king, you're in the kingdom, and you're a citizen of the kingdom, and this is what it looks like for citizens of God's kingdom, this is the way it works, and he's explaining this to people, Um, Matthew 18, verse 21, it says, uh, then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, his master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that man went out, he found one of his own fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt, until he can pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And when the master called the servant, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? If that's not a beautiful snapshot of what it is for citizens of God's kingdom. If you're a believer in the resurrected Jesus, you're a citizen of God's kingdom. And what he's saying right here is we all had truckloads of debt. We all did. If you didn't think so, when you get to heaven, if you want to look at the detail of what the rap sheet was, you'll get to see. But we all have one. And God's like, I canceled all of it. I forgave you all transgressions. I forgave you all debts. Everything that you were indebted about, everywhere you fell short or transgressed or violated, I forgave you. And so in the same way, there's an expectation for a citizen of God's kingdom to extend that to others. And that's beautifully put right here. God is saying, I gave you profound mercy and grace. Can you extend that to others? And so that's our third point this morning is that freely you've been given, freely give. That's what Jesus tells us. Freely you've been given, Freely give. Um, the last few things I want to I hit on right now is that these are some parts that we don't realize. When we talk about unforgiveness having a place in our life that sets us back, these are some of the areas that we, we forget about. We don't realize it, but I don't know if, if you knew this, but unforgiveness actually hinders your prayers. It actually hinders your worship. Isn't that interesting? We don't think about this. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5.23 regarding worship, if you're in a place and you're worshiping God and there's an outstanding issue with your brother, stop. He said, stop. He said, said, put down your gift, stop your worship, go work it out, go reconcile the issue to the best you can, but go make it right and then come back and worship. Isn't that interesting? See, we kind of forget some of those and we're thinking, well, you know, just me and you, God, we're good, but you're going to have to work some issues out in their life because they're... They're messed up. This is the way we tend to think without saying it. And God's saying, no, can you just put that down because I, I care about them as well and I want you to be free. And the only way you and I are gonna be free is to try to reconcile stuff or forgive others. Uh, it affects our prayer life. In, Ma- in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, he says this, he, Jesus says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, remember, a transgression or something that happened, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Basically, it's a prayer situation, and he's saying, stop and make it right. There's a reality that if we don't forgive, if we're not right with God in these areas, that our prayers can actually be hindered. Now, that's, that's going to rock some of your theology. Some of you are going, what? Prayer's hindered? It doesn't sound, can that actually be? Can my prayer actually be hindered? Yeah, the Bible would say, yes, in 1 Peter 3, we see a snapshot of hindered prayers. We see a snapshot of specifically a husband not living right, uh, and as a result of not right living, having prayers being hindered. It's not gender specific, but the reality exists that based on what Jesus is saying here, if you got an issue, stop the prayer thing, go make it right, and then come back in prayer. Uh, availeth much of the prayers of the righteous. When your heart is right before God in these areas of life, Prayer is more effective and powerful. Um, In 1 Peter 3, it talks about our prayer being hindered. And this is interesting. Um, Guys, gentlemen, a lot of you guys can relate to this football game, okay? Fourth quarter, marching the ball down the field, two-minute warning. Okay, you're down by two points. You're getting the ball down, you're doing a little clock management, and you're down there, and you're down at a 20-yard line, you got about five seconds left on the clock, and you're ready to kick a three-pointer, it's a little chip shot, no problem, game over with a victory, right? Okay, ready to go, and all of a sudden, your kicker, the guy's a, you know, hits these things all day long, and five seconds left on the clock, snaps the ball, goes to kick this easy chip shot, somebody gets a hand up there, bam, slaps it down, rejected, ooh, game over. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. That's painful when that happens. (laughs) But it's rejected, it's hindered, it's blocked, and it changed the outcome. That's what it's saying in 1 Peter regarding our heart condition. If we're not right, it says, be right so that your your prayers are not hindered. Think of that, guys. Somebody getting up and slapping that ball down. It was well-intended. It was well-aimed but something is in the way blocking it. It's the same way when we have unforgiveness in our life, when things are outstanding, we have to deal with them because prayer is not so effective. And even with the worship, Jesus is saying, set it down and work it out. I'm saying this because this is a bigger area than we think. This particular giant of unforgiveness, unlike the giant of doubt, unlike the giant of uh, fear, which we see coming head on and we don't know what to do with, This one we ignore, and that's why it is so powerful. We try to ignore it, we try to compartmentalize it, we try to move on beyond it, but we can't. It still lives, and the longer it lives, the bigger it gets, and it tries to drag us down from behind. It has an effect on our prayer life. It has an effect on our worship life, yet we're silent. We don't recognize it. We don't talk about it. We continue to trudge our way through, but what we're doing is we're dragging weight with us that God never designed you to carry. Jesus said Jesus is saying, "Can I have that? I died for that one too." That sin, that transgression they did to you, I died for that. Can I have it, please? And we're saying, "No, you can't. I'm holding on to it." Thank you. They owe me. There needs to be something done right, and I'm going to hold it. And Jesus is like, "Yeah, I actually died for that. Whenever you're ready to give that to me, I'm ready to take it from you, and you can live in a far greater way of liberation you can run freer you can run faster you're going to become your fuller potential in the kingdom of god if you will just give it to me and yet we tend to hold on out of a sense of pride or justification whatever it is i'm just telling you guys this is something that there's no time we're living in times where it is time for you and i to be as about as in tune to the holy spirit as ever before do you guys believe that we're living in unprecedented time, and God has made you for such a time as this. We're living in a time where change is happening at a, at a rate that is never, the world, the universe has never seen. The history of humanity has trudged along slow with little inventions and in this, and we went from steam engines to nuclear physics overnight, and God has you right here, right now. This is Unprecedented. Uh, we're living in times when you look at scripture, you look at revelation, you look at some of the snapshots of God's timeline, things are accelerating incredibly quick. God has you here right now for, the, for, for a purpose. And for you and I to be effective for God's glory and his design, we have to have our heart in the right place. We gotta keep our heart in a place where, we, where we're sensitive and our heart doesn't get calloused, there's no bitterness, there's no resentment because God can't use a heart that is sour. He can't use a heart where there's resentment. God's looking for pliable hearts, hearts that he can shape and mold and conform into his image. And this is really important. And last couple of uh, things I want to say. In fact, this would be good if the worship team comes up. I'm going to wrap up with a couple of these. Colossians 3.13 says, um, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, we've received mercy, we have to extend mercy. And here's a couple ways. If you want a couple of action points on how you actually deal with unforgiveness, um, here, here they are, you can just jot these down if, you're, if, this is, if this is close to home for you and you feel you need to do this. If not, write them down for later because you will later on. This stuff comes up, our whole life is a series and sequence of us falling short in other people's lives and them falling short in our lives. And until we actually know how to navigate this, uh, we're, we're not going to be victorious. Um, the first thing is to take full responsibility for our part. Honestly, there's two sides of every story, sometimes three, but t- take full responsibility for our part. And here's one thing that we need to do. Uh, the second point is to acknowledge our unforgiveness as sin. Let me say that again. To acknowledge our unforgiveness as sin and confess it to God. I say that because we, au- we actually think that unforgiveness is optional. I'm forgiven with you, but not with them, and you know they they messed up. We really do in the back of our mind. Somehow, some way, we think that we can go through life very selective, which with people get forgiven and who doesn't. I don't know where that comes from, but it's not the spirit of God. It's not the word of God. The Bible says when we don't forgive people, that is sin, and that's why, guys, that's why our prayer and our worship is hindered because we're holding on to sin and it's not confessed sin. We're holding on to sin. God's like, oh, you muddy in the waters with that. If you would just let it go, there's a greater freedom on the other side. So acknowledge it, that unforgiveness is sin, and confess it to God. And then give that offense to God. Literally give that offense to God. Take it off of your soul and put it on the cross of Jesus Christ. He died for that. He doesn't want you to carry it any longer. He made you for liberation. Where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. And there's no liberty in unforgiveness. There's no freedom in unforgiveness, only bondage. And the next step is to demonstrate that forgiveness. Demonstrate it. A good way to start demonstrating it is start praying for that person. I mean, really pray for them. Not, Lord, teach them a lesson and get them back. Not that kind of prayer. Lord, reveal yourself to them. I pray they understand you. I pray they come to a full knowledge of who you are. I pray they, you form their heart to your image, God. Do great things in their life, Lord. How about that kind of prayer? That's a great way to demonstrate it. And if possible, go to the next step to try to speak to. Maybe that's sometimes not possible. Try to speak, write a letter, try to be reconciled with people. That's why the Bible says, so much as it's up to you, be reconciled with people everywhere. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. You can't force reconciliation. It's a two-sided street on that one. But you can at least take the high road, forgive them release them, pray for their blessing and try to make that step. This is really important. Um, the last thing I want to close with a story. It's a story of, a, of an article that was printed in a uh, Spanish newspaper and it was a, a father who had become estranged from his, from his son and he, he went looking for his son everywhere, couldn't find his son and finally published this article in the Madrid newspaper and he said, uh, uh, the ad read like this. It said, dear Paco, Meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And on Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up looking for (laughs) forgiveness and love from their fathers. It's humorous, but it's a very true condition. People need forgiveness. People need it. And Jesus came for it. And as representatives of Jesus, we got to extend it, church. Freely you've been given, freely give. Do not let the giant of unforgiveness have any more place in your life. Our prayer team is going to come up right now. I know a message like this stirs some things up. Uh, There may be some big things from the past. There may be more recent things. But I want to encourage you to come up and just put these things before God. Do some business with God right now. Please walk out of here liberated. Please walk out of God's house in a greater sense of freedom in this area. So I just want to um, close in prayer. Mighty God, we, we love you, we praise you. I thank you for your word and I thank you for the reality of, of the power of forgiveness that you modeled for us. I thank you for grace, I thank you for mercy. I pray we would extend it in a way that makes you smile, God. But Lord, I pray we would walk as liberated people. I pray that we would walk in freedom for your glory, for your namesake. And since you gave us so much mercy and grace. I pray we'd be the first ones that model it well. So help us to do that. Help us to search our heart. Help us to get rid of any resentment or bitterness or any root that might be growing up in our heart, as your word says, that, Lord, nothing would hinder us or cut in on us. Nothing would take away from the full potential that you're calling us to, mighty God. We want to run the race to win. We don't want to limp our way along this Christian faith. We want to run for your glory. We want to sprint for your namesake, God. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.